Is it that easy for you to just drift away? Never said it was easy. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand. I mean, you brought us here. You belong here as much as anyone, maybe more. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute presents Waterworld, H2O Minutes at a Time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minutes 165 and 166, which begin with Gregor shaking the Mariner's hand and end with the Mariner giving Helen some kind words. As the Mariner approaches the catamaran at the beginning of today's clip, Gregor and the Enforcer are approaching him. I think they sense that the boat is ready to go. It is time to say their final farewells. And Gregor is the first to reach out to the Mariner and bid him farewell. Most of these two minutes that we're watching today are not in the theatrical version. Oh, I think that's a real shame. These mm -hmm. are some lovely sentiments and some lovely moments that really highlight that the Mariner is somebody who is cared about. Yeah, I know that... The Mariner doesn't have as much of a relationship with the Enforcer and Gregor as he does with Helen, but they are still major figures in his story. And I really like in today's clip how they get to have some parting words. It really highlights their individual personalities. All three of them mm -hmm. get the quintessential goodbye that they would give. We start with Gregor, who gives him a gift yeah. of a bag of dirt. And I love Gregor's explanation of, here's this bag of dirt, don't trade it all in one place, which is a classic grandpa-dad joke. Yes. But then he leans in and says, or do, because that will give the Mariner reason to come back for more. Right. Which tells me he still doesn't really understand the Mariner. The joke about the dirt is that that's what brought them all together in the first place was the dirt. Yep. The Mariner doesn't need dry land to get dirt. That's like <laughs> the whole thing. So I don't think Gregor really understands the Mariner's whole deal. But I really like this. I like that Gregor is being funny. Yeah. Like on purpose. He is telling a joke and that he is still so giddy about this whole thing. Everyone else seems to have settled into the concept of we made it to dry land a little bit, but no, Gregor is still giddy yeah. about it. And I love the implied invitation that if you ever need to come back, you should. Yeah, I like that expectation. It's going to be a whole heck of a lot easier for the Mariner to find dirt on dry land than it is for him to go through the rigmarole of finding a place under the ocean that is shallow enough for him to comfortably dive down and harvest from. Yeah. I do like the idea of him continuing his work of mapping the world. Absolutely. And doing that diving down is how he may find more people like himself. In the comic books, 
that's where his people are. That's where there are other people like him. They live underwater. So being out there diving is how he can find people like himself. Yeah. Now that he has figured out how the map works, his charts overlaid on a map of the world so that he can better find his way around, he can more accurately go to a specific area and check out a specific population center to try and find stuff. Yeah. He is, at this point in the story, a whole lot better prepared to explore than he was at the beginning. Absolutely. In my notes, I commented that Gregor has made a good point in the whole come back and get more dirt. Dirt is currency on Waterworld, and Dryland is like a Scrooge McDuckian-style vault of wealth. The trouble with that is that it also devalues dirt. Exactly. Dirt is valuable because it's rare. Well, it's no longer rare. I think what the dirt that Gregor gives to the Mariner may be better at is proof. Mm -hmm. The Mariner comes to a population center. He's got a copy of the map and an unreasonably large pile of dirt. Say, hey, I know where dry land is. Here's the proof. Here is the map. Here's how to read it. Go there. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it might be a little bit hard based on what we saw of his interaction with the atoll that we know. It might be hard for people to trust him. Exactly. So it's a very useful gift. I love what it says about Gregor. I love his attitude about the whole thing. It's just all fantastic. I think it's a good cap on his character. Yeah, and he's always been a bit of that mad scientist. So yeah, he walks away kind of mad. He's laughing and lumbering, like shuffling mm -hmm. away. Yeah, it's great. Gregor doesn't so much have an arc as much as a journey to vindication. And I love that. He believed so long in Dryland and tried so hard to figure out. And at the end, he realized that goal of deciphering the tattoo and finding Dryland. And he had help. He didn't do it by himself. But in the end, it was him who pointed the direction exactly. and said, okay, with everything I've learned from everybody that I've encountered, I have decided that is where we're going to go. And he was right. And I love that in the movie, that was Gregor. In the book, I believe it was the Mariner. Which I do not I understand. I do not appreciate. Yeah. I think it should have been Gregor. Absolutely. Because of that vindication. This is Gregor's accomplishment. <laughs> and I like that for him. Me too. Next, we have the Enforcer. This is another quintessential goodbye. He says, all I have for you is this. And he reaches out his hand. He doesn't come with a gift. He doesn't come with any fancy words or any jokes. Just a hearty thank you and goodbye. Yeah. And that's incredibly the Enforcer. That's what we've liked about him this whole time, is that he is calm and steady. The Enforcer and the Mariner are two peas in a pod. Yeah, they really are. They are strong, stoic, not both loner types like one's a loner one's a community man but they've had an abiding respect for each other throughout this entire movie from the instant that the mariner arrived in the atoll and they had that first interaction both men were able to recognize in the other that they had this special quality about them and even in a situation where the Enforcer is the one lowering the Mariner into the Organo Barge. There's still that respect there of recognizing that they just have something unique about them, a strength, as it were. And 
like you said, it's a very simple goodbye, but I think it's very appropriate to the time that they've spent together. Yeah. I want to go off on a bit of a tangent about the Enforcer sure. real quick. I've always kind of wondered why he was included in the climax of the movie, because he wasn't really a big part of the movie at all. He was a part that was very noticeable. From the moment he came on screen, we just loved talking about him. He's a very enjoyable person. But that also makes him kind of not a fantastic character, because he's just quiet and steady. That's not how these movies work. So I've always kind of wondered a bit at his inclusion in this tiny crew that makes it to dry land. And I have a hypothesis that's a little strange. I mean, it's not, but it's a little, I don't know. He's there to be a viable partner for Helen. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's his only purpose to be included so that Helen is not alone because Gregor's not a viable partner. Biologically speaking, he probably is. Oh, yeah. Yes, they need to have babies to continue things. But Helen needs more than that. She needs a companion. Yeah. And the Enforcer is going to be a fantastic companion. Absolutely. I'd be on board. Absolutely. Because that's what I have in you. You're calm and steady. It's fantastic partner material. Yeah. So that's really his only reason for being there. I think about the Enforcer and what kind of personal journey he's been on over the course of this movie. He hasn't changed a ton. But I think he's changed in one major way. At the beginning of the movie, he was under the employ of the Atoll elders. And after the attack on the Atoll, the survivors slipped away. And when we found him again on the makeshift Atoll, he had assumed a sort of leadership role. And I appreciate, and this is where his change comes in, that when Helen and Gregor go to help the Mariner, that the Enforcer is able to Look at what Helen and Gregor are trying to do. Look at how they're trying to help the Mariner. And he's able to compare that with the folks on the Atoll and choose Helen and Gregor over these folks that are so close-minded, so dogmatic, so willing to abandon one of their own kind. And he decides, I don't want to be associated with those people. I want to be associated with the folks that are willing to risk themselves to save one of their own. Very true. His personality doesn't really change. He's always that calm, steady that we like throughout the whole thing. But you're right. He starts out enforcing other people's rules. And then he comes to when he gets to make his own choices. And that is definitely shown in the fact that he actively participated in the attempted execution of the Mariner. He knew it wasn't the right thing to do, but he did it anyways because it was his job and he was doing his job. That's how his bread was buttered. Absolutely. And I don't fault him for that, especially in this world where there just isn't a lot of room for personal choices. But once there was enough room for personal choices, he made a choice. And I'm sad that he was the only one who made that choice. Everybody on that new mini atoll had that choice. There's no government anymore. Nobody was obligated to do anything. Mm -hmm. And he's the only one who made that choice. And that's really sad. But I do like the idea of Helen not being alone. Yeah. Something that's not really explored are any familial relationships that the enforcer may have had on the atoll. 
I know there was that one scene where he's carrying that child along the boat and then the mariner throws the machete and kills the smoker that was going to attack the enforcer. Mm-hmm. And as the enforcer slips away, there is another smaller person that gets in the boat with him before they cast off. Yes. I brought this up in earlier episodes. If he's got a wife and a kid and he left them behind on the makeshift atoll, what does that say about him? But I'm not entirely convinced that he had a family that survived the atoll attack. I'm not entirely convinced that the person who jumped into that lifeboat with him before they escaped the smokers was necessarily a member of his family. I'm not sure I have an opinion either way. I don't recall there being any smaller people on the mini atoll. Right. If I remember, it was all adults. So if he rode away with it was more like an adolescent, right? Not as opposed to a child. It was more of an adolescent. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not sure that adolescent survived the escape. Which adds a tinge of sadness to his character. Yeah. Whether it was his own child or not, he actively tried to save that child and it kind of looks like he failed. Yeah. He likely made the decision to go with Gregor and Helen because he had lost so many people in the atoll attack. As the enforcer, he is the protector of the atoll. And with so many lives being lost, that likely tipped him over from, okay, I need to stay and protect these people at all costs to, I'm not going to leave someone behind to be further victimized by the people who destroyed my atoll. Right. Because Enola is his kinsman, is of his society, his community. So... I think he did feel an obligation to help. Yeah. Which just speaks more well of him. Mm -hmm. I think it would have been fun to have an epilogue scene where people arrive at Dryland and the society has obviously grown. Whether that be in new structures being seen or whether there are babies. Specifically, Helen has a baby. I would have liked to have seen Helen have a baby. Especially because... Oh, is it in the book or in the original script where Helen made a deal? She can keep Enola, but that means she's not allowed to have any children. Where is that found? I think it's mentioned in the movie, but it's explained more specifically in the book. Okay. So if there was going to be an epilogue scene, which I think would have been fun, I would have liked to have seen Helen have a baby. Mm. I think it would have been a good post credit scene. Yeah. The credits end and then the shot comes back up of dry land there are structures on the beach whatever and there are boats approaching the island and helen leaves a hut with a baby tied on a papoose or something like that. exactly to welcome them Mm -hmm. i really like the idea of seeing that this seed that is planted at the end of this movie actually grows yeah because it's entirely possible that nobody else ever finds dry land and these four individuals die Mm mm-hmm And nothing ever comes of this whole adventure, which I find absolutely tragic. Yeah. It would have been nice to have just that assurance at the very end that this is not the very end, but whatever. But just the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) So with this handshake, the enforcer leaves and Helen and the Mariner are alone by the catamaran. And Helen asks a question. She says... Is it that easy for you to just drift away? And the Mariner responds by saying, I never said it was easy. Which tells me that maybe he has a little bit 
of an inkling of an idea to maybe not leave for her sake and for Enola's sake. For the sake of the people, he would like to continue to be around these people. But the environment in which it would require him to live is untenable. Mm -hmm. And that is, of course, that's difficult. He has to make a really hard choice between two sides of himself. And it may be a selfish choice because on the surface, he is choosing his own comfort and wants and needs over the needs of the community. But how is he supposed to stay? Mm -hmm. Helen continues the conversation that the Mariner was just having with Enola last week. She says, I don't understand. You brought us here. You belong here as much as anyone, maybe more. She's saying, listen, you've earned your place here on Dryland. As much of a claim as Helen the Enforcer and Gregor have on this land, the Mariner has an equal share of that. That's a very interesting way to put it for both you and Helen, is that he has earned a place there. I don't think anybody should have to earn a place on dry land because humans are meant for dry land. It's where they belong. So they should all be welcome. And then on the flip side, the Mariner's not fully human. Mm -hmm. So this isn't the place for him. Exactly the reason why you guys want to be there so bad is the exact reason he doesn't want to be there so bad. Yeah. It reminds me of the song by Looking Glass from the late 70s. The song Brandy. Oh, yeah. You almost imagine the Mariner to say, oh, listen, you're a fine girl. What a good wife you would be. But my life, my love, and my lady is the sea. That's exactly what's happening here. That would have been a great song to play over the credits. Yeah. Helen asks the question that we're all thinking. What do you think you're going to find? What are you looking for out there? She is asking what he is going to do now that he has realized the goal of finding Dryland. It's this whole, you've just won the Super Bowl, what are you going to do next? But he can't go to Disneyland because that's not a thing anymore. But he could go to Disneyland because he can swim down to Disneyland. Yeah, but it's going to be closed. None of the rides are going to be working. It's going to be like the end of National Lampoons when the Wally World is closed. Yeah, but that was never his goal. Dryland was never his goal. Everybody else realized their goal of finding Dryland. His goal the whole time is to maintain the status quo yeah he was surviving he wasn't living yeah to the mariner's credit he changes his outlook from surviving to moving forward in some way his yeah. response is that he wants to go find more people like him and that was never a goal before so he had fully resigned to being the only one of his kind yeah i know we've struggled with the conversation about the mariner's arc and I think it might be the best to talk about it in little sections instead of a grand arc for him. Yeah. So this little portion of the arc about his goals in life is very satisfying and it's very human. This desire to find more people like yourself. Yeah. The Mariner's arc in this movie is going from being an aggressive loner to being someone who now longs for community. And that's the major change over the course of this film. That now that he has realized that he can coexist with people, and he's been given the hope that there just might be other mutations out there on Waterworld that he can track down, it's given him new purpose. And he's now a man who's not just floating around, dredging stuff up from the ocean, 
clotheslining people who steal his limes. <laughs> He's got hope. It occurs to me that if he wanted to stay, and the whole land thing is certainly a problem for him, if he wanted to stay, he could just build himself a barge just off the coast. Right. <laughs> and that could be where he lives. And he could move freely and people who have that relationship with him to move freely as well between his home and land can. And they can coexist at a little bit of a distance. But that's not enough for him. It's not just about, I don't react well to land that doesn't move. I need to be on the water that does move. That's not it. He needs more now. He has bonded with people who have bonds with other people and he sees those bonds as something positive. Mm -hmm. So he wants those for himself amongst people who are like him. It's kind of a double-edged sword because in the meantime, he's going to be alone again. And since he has learned that he can like people now that he is moving away from that, he's going to be even more lonely than he may have ever been before yeah. until he does find people like him. Which he may never. Given how the atoll at the beginning of this movie reacted to finding a mutation, it's very likely that he will encounter that sort of prejudice and aggression in other atolls. Yes. There yes, may yes. have been mutations before, and by the time he arrives, they are gone now. Or maybe he arrives on an atoll and a mutation has just been born, and they give him this child. Right. Because the people on the atoll have this prejudice against mutations. And there's somebody with a level head saying, well, instead of killing this child, let's sell the child. Right. <laughs> I was going to say, give the child away. But I'm like, no, they probably wouldn't. Let's no. sell the child. The Mariner interacting with atollers, as we just described, actually brings up the Mariner's second goal in life. He says, Helen... If I find others out there like you, I'll tell them about this place. First and foremost, I love how in him saying that and following it up with and how one woman with hope and courage found it, that is him giving her kind words. I found that statement rather moving. It said a lot about how the Mariner feels about her, and you can tell that that's what he wanted to say. Like He wanted to tell her how highly he thinks of her, mm -hmm. how much he cares about her, but that's not, like, he has no practice doing those kinds of things. He doesn't know how. It's a very awkward exchange. Like, this whole thing is very awkward. They don't know how to behave towards each other anymore. Yeah. So I really, really like those words. They are very kind and very heartfelt. Yeah, he's basically telling Helen that of the humans that he has encountered, she is the one that he idealizes. Her yeah. qualities, her she courage, will... her hope. He will measure all other humans against her. Yeah. Now, when he says, if I meet other people like you, I'll tell them about Dryland. Does he mean other people as in humans or other people as in a decent human being? Oh, decent human being. Yeah. So he is going to be the judge of whether or not a community is told about Dryland. Exactly. So the people who do arrive there run through his filter. Exactly. And that's a very interesting position to be in, especially for somebody who has had very questionable behavior over the course of this movie. Okay. And he's going to be our filter. Yes, his behavior has been questionable, but the entire course of this movie is him unlearning that behavior. 
At the beginning of the film, he saw Helen as nothing more than an annoyance. Someone that needs to be brought to heel. Drop a sail on him. Whack him with an oar. Knock him unconscious so they can't shoot you in the back. Trust has built over the course of this film. And he's learned. He's grown as an individual. He's not the same surly sea captain that he was at the beginning of this story. And using Helen as a metric, I think he'll be able to find good candidates for settling Dryland. He's not going to let the slavers know about Dryland. He's not going to let any smokers know. That's a very good point. I still struggle a little bit with the idea of certain people being filtered out of their natural habitat. I struggle with that a little bit. It does help me to think about all the bad people that we've met along the way. Right. Not everybody is deserving is an odd word, but not everyone is necessarily deserving of dry land because oh, they will. See. Oh, I struggle with that because so they'll much. abuse it like the smokers. The right. smokers wanted to find dry land so that they could dominate dry land, tear it down, pave over it, get freeways, progress and whatnot. I think that's something that I'm just going to have to live with. I've got these two trains of thought that collide about these are humans, they belong on land and shouldn't be exclusionary. But then you're absolutely right. There are people, the slavers would come and enslave everybody. Mm -hmm. The smokers would come and destroy everything. So seriously, I feel both ways about it and I don't know what to do with that. Yeah. Thank goodness it's a fictional universe and we don't have to make any definitive decisions Or anything like that. I don't want to be in charge of deciding who gets to know about dry land and who doesn't. Certainly not. Following these kind words, he raises a hand and he brushes the side of her face. And we get a close-up on the manor as he slowly leans in towards Helen. They're going to kiss at the beginning of next clip. It's so awkward. It's because the mariner is an asexual. He does not communicate physically his affections. Yeah, that's a good point. So that's why every time he kisses her, it's awkward. Right. Because he's not a sexual being. (laughs) But that's something we don't have to worry about until next week. Yeah, it really doesn't help that we cut off this two-minute clip halfway through the lean-in. Right. It really accentuates the awkwardness of it all. (laughs) Doing this kiss, no favors. Yeah. I just want to point out the mirror image of this conversation versus the conversation he had with Enola, Mm -hmm. right down to it ends with a kiss. It's exactly the same conversation with different connotations, except that this conversation with Helen has a satisfying ending. He says, I'm going to go out into the world, I'm going to do this thing, and I'm going to say this nice thing about you. And she appreciates that. And then they share a kiss. And then I don't know what happens next because I haven't watched that clip yet okay (laughs) we'll put a pin in this for now we're gonna come back next week the mariner will kiss helen for one last time she'll give him a name and the mariner will return to the sea the mad max minute podcast is a fan project by rick and julia ingham Waterworld was written by peter raider and david tui directed by kevin reynolds and presented by universal pictures mad max minute is produced and edited by rick ingham Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute. And like us on Facebook by searching MadMaxMinute and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. 
If you'd like to support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash madmaxmen. Thank you for joining us for Waterworld episode 83. We'll see you next time.